0: Our reading this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. If you're reading along in the Pew Bible, that's on page 1028. I will be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the world of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness for God in him.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, thank you for being with us. We hope that you can come back time and time again. When we think about the suffering of Jesus Christ, and as we've just sung, He did so for you and me. Many of us have perhaps heard this as long as we've lived almost. But yet on the other hand, when we stop and contemplate it in depth, it begins to be a puzzling question, if you will. Why did Jesus die for me? Why wasn't there some other plan? Why was it that it was that kind of sacrifice? Why do we see such cruelty but yet such resolve? Why do we see such pain but yet such love? What does it mean when Jesus dies for you and me? This morning, I don't suggest to you that we can answer every aspect of that question, but I know that we can look in depth in at least two different passages, and many of those questions will be answered from the Word of God in those passages. All of us, perhaps here, remember very well September the 11th, 2001. Where were you whenever we watched in disbelief as the Twin Towers were targeted by terrorists? And then later, as we learned that also the Pentagon and finally Flight 93, the United flight, that the destination, perhaps definitely not by plan, but became that in a field in Pennsylvania. You see, when we contemplate the losses that day, it's almost mind-boggling to comprehend that not only did around 3,000 lives be murdered that day, but also there were 19 men, sacrificed their life. The four that are pictured on your screen are the four that sacrificed their life on the United Flight 93. Oh, I'm not glamorizing that and saying, isn't that wonderful that someone was willing to give their life? But it's just a fact. Those men believed in a cause that in their mind, it was a cause worth giving their very life for that cause. We can't comprehend why someone would want to murder others and even give their life in that sense. But yet, when we realize the challenge that it must have been, I hold in my hand a letter that has been released by the FBI. It's oftentimes referred to as the night before letter. This is what each of those 19 men were supposed to read the night before and they should have read over it carefully many times and followed step by step. It's laid out in three stages, what they do the night before and the morning before they leave their hotel room. What they do is they are riding in the taxi and what they do when they finally arrive at the airport and board the plane. How many times they were to say phrases about there's only one God at least a thousand times. They were to get up and to shave and to put cologne and look cheerful and optimistic. They were to make sure that their shoes were tied tight and that they had socks on. They were to make sure that their knife was sharp. And finally, at the end of all of this, it closes by saying, Afterwards, we will all meet in the highest heaven, God willing. And we look at the sacrifice that these 19 men made of their lives, all of them young men. They gave their life to a cause. And it breaks our heart, number one, because of the wickedness that they were following. But it breaks our heart because of the destruction that they brought upon Americans and our fellow citizens. 19 men sacrificed. And the result was destruction. Destruction and murder but yet on the other hand Jesus Christ sacrificed and the result was salvation and something beautiful how is it that these men could die in vain and Jesus Christ could die and his be worth everything the Scriptures helps us to understand this. Second Corinthians the fifth chapter, the text has been capably read for us. I would like to read two more verses of introduction into this text. Second Corinthians the fifth chapter, notice as we back up to verse 14 and 15, "For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if now notice this phrase, "If one died for all, then all died." And He died for all that those who live should no longer for themselves, or live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. And so as the text is being introduced by other Scriptures here this morning, we see that not only can we have this life of reconciliation because of what Jesus has done for us, but He says, let me introduce this text by saying this, One died for all. Because Jesus Christ died, we don't have to go through the same punishment. In other words, we're talking about something here that is a substitution. If you will, look with me again at the text. And remember the text was 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. But notice again verse 21 as we read a short verse in the Bible that really says about as much as any one verse in all of the Bible. Notice every phrase and every word of this text. For He, God... Made Him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now let's think about four aspects very quickly this morning of this, and then let's move over to another passage and learn a few aspects of this to help us understand why it is that one could die and be a substitute for our death so that we can be reconciled. That is a mutual bringing back together with God Almighty. When I breathe my last breath on this earth, I want to know that I will spend an eternity with God how can that be done? First, I must realize that there has to be beneficiaries to the grace of God. Did you notice there in the text that we're reading when he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin? What? For us. God intended for this gift to be for the world. For God so loved the world. God loves us. Grace has appeared to all men. Titus, the second chapter, and verse 11. And so it is when we see to whom was God offering this gift. The beneficiaries are us, the whole world. But there had to be a benefactor. And God made Him. God made Christ to be that benefactor. Now before we go in much depth there, let's go ahead and look at the third thing here. And that is, what's going to be the substitute? What is this sacrifice going to do? And Jesus is going to be the substitute for our death. He is going to pay the curse of sin for us. He is going to die and pay the penalty, the bloodshed for the sins that we should have been paying the guilt of those very sins. For example, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a phrase out of Hebrews the fourth chapter and verse 15 when he says speaking of Christ he was all points tempted like as we are let that sink in Christ was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin So when He died on the cross, I need to keep in mind that He was a perfect sacrifice. Why could Jesus be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? What we're learning in this lesson is that Jesus was the perfect Lamb. He was a perfect sacrifice to take away our sin. Isaiah 53, let's scan some verses together. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 2. For He, speaking of Jesus, being prophetic here, He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. Jesus came to this earth as a tender plant. He didn't just descend upon this earth as a king and set upon royalty or as a massive man that demanded respect. He came as a tender plant. He came as a little baby birthed from a virgin wrapped in swaddling cloth. We don't read about people gathering around and listening to Jesus because He was handsome. We don't see crowds drawn to Him because of a physical appearance. God said hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth, that's the way it was going to be. But nevertheless, He touched the world in a powerful way. We read in verse 4, Please listen, or if you're reading, note the words that refer to us. Words like our and us. Notice this. Surely He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened on his mouth. He was led as a lamb the slaughter, let's skip down to the middle of, or to the end of verse 8 for the transgressions of my people he was stricken, skip down to 10 yet he pleased the Lord to bruise him he was put, he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin, skip down to the end of verse 12, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors this beautiful chapter telling all that Jesus was going to do on this earth and the hardships that He was going to endure, it was all for us. He lived the perfect life so that He could be a sacrifice for us, that perfect sacrifice. And when He took bruising, and when He took transgressions, and when He he took the beatings, He took those for us as an offering for us. And so when we look at the identity of a substitute, I must recognize the fact that that was intended for us. But He bore it. He bore it all for us. So, that according to the end of 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and verse 21, that we could have the righteousness of God. Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the third chapter, and let's see another passage. The passage we just left helps us understand the fact of Christ being a substitute, but now, for just a moment, Let's read Romans the third chapter in verse 23, 24, 25 and 26. And then, let's realize this: The only way I can begin to understand why Jesus had to be a substitute for us is to understand the nature of God. Now many have said to me, this particular sermon really interests me, as you've seen the ones that, that have been scheduled in advance. Listen carefully if this sermon interests you as we study this because we're going to learn that one of the reasons Jesus had to die on the cross was because of the nature of the Godhead. Let's read now, picking up and leading to that verse 26. We're in Romans the third chapter and verse 23. We see a verse of conviction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we see some verses of hope being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier... Of the one who has faith in Jesus. From this, we learn number one, from verse 26, God is righteous. The reason you and I need someone to justify us is not because God is against us. Christ didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but to save the world, John 3 and 17. God is righteous. James 1 in verse 13, he makes it very clear, I don't tempt any man. A few verses down, God makes it very clear, I am the giver of all good gifts. Friends, as we find ourselves, Romans 3 and 23, sinners falling short of the glory of God, the first thing we have to realize is it's not God's fault. God is a righteous God. But the second thing that I need to learn from verse 26 here is I need to learn that God is a just God. Most of us would hope that the terrorist would receive justice. Now, that might make somebody uncomfortable. Wait a minute. You want people to be punished, perhaps even executed? Yes. We can go to the Scriptures and prove that that is a part of the Christian faith is to believe in a just God and therefore we ought to believe in justice also. Romans the 13th chapter and verse 1, we respect the higher powers, those in authority, the government officials. And as we read down in verse 2, 3, and 4, we realize that it's God that has made them ministers to execute justice and to punish those that are evil. And so we say absolutely, justice ought to be served. Now wait a minute. If we think that terrorists ought to receive justice, we also have to say we need to receive justice also. Terrorists sin, God will have to deal with them. You and I sin, God will have to deal with us. What's the point? We can't pick and choose justice, justice has to be spread equally. Now, let's go back to this point. What did he say again about God? Did he not say that he was a just God, that he might be just and the justify? So what's the point? The point is God has to punish sin. Period. Period. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23. Romans 6 and 23a. For the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul that sins shall die. God is a just God. It is not in the nature of God to overlook sin. He can't look down and say, "When I tell you what, the terrorist sin is greater than your sin, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold them accountable and deal with them in justice, but I'm going to overlook your sin. So because God is a just God, this puts you and I in a very difficult situation because we maybe regret our past sins, but we're still sinners without Jesus Christ. We're guilty of those sins. And God is a just God. But notice this next phrase. Not only is he just, but he says he is the justifier. God is the one that made the way. Look, if you will, to Romans, the sixth chapter, just over a page in your Bible. Romans, the sixth chapter. Notice verse 17. He's talking about that form of salvation that saves us. In other words, there's hope because of the justifier. And this time, we're not talking about Jesus being the justifier although he is called and referred to that at times. But here it's interesting, we're speaking of God. And so, now notice what he says in verse 17. We'll read it first and then come back and emphasize the first phrase. But God bethinked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Wow. You're in bondage in sin. You knew that justice was going to be, that you were going to be lost for an eternity, but you wanted to turn things around. God is the one that gave us a doctrine of salvation that teaches us how to make that turn in our life, how to have the grace of God to forgive us of our sins. But notice how verse 17 begins. But God be thanked. What's the point? God is the justifier. He's the one that's made the way. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. God is the one that said, we're going to work this out. We're going to make a way possible. And the Godhead did that. But now notice this. Jesus had to be that sacrifice in order for our sins to be paid for. And when Jesus made that sacrifice, you and I must make the proper response for the atonement to come into our life. Notice again as we read in Romans, the third chapter in verse 26, what he says of those that will have God as one that justifies them. Verse 26, Romans 3. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of who? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who is going to have God as their justifier? The one who has faith. Revelations 2.10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of righteousness. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's hearing the will of God and saying, I want to fully submit my life to God. Why? Because I want Him to deal with me justly, as I know He will, because that's the kind of God He is. But I realize that there's no hope if I do not have Him also as the one that serves as justifying me. Now, to appreciate this, we just read just a few minutes ago, and if you still have Romans 3 open, look back in verse 23. Verse 23. We're all convicted of sin. Let's look at this chart together. At the very bottom of the chart, you'll notice us. Now, if for just a moment you will imagine that chart without the cross, without Jesus, without the words above of propitiation, of justifier and redeemer, for just a moment, imagine God and us and sin separates us from God. The only hope we have, according to Romans, the third chapter, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we know that the wages of sin is death, is Jesus had to pay our price for sin because God must punish sin. And the payment of sin is death. And so that's why he uses terms here and each word paints a different analogy to show us the same truth. And the truth is Jesus died for us. First he says, or not first, but we'll look at it. First he says he's a propitiation for us. In other words, a propitiation is to appease the wrath of God. Romans 1 and 18, sin stirs the wrath of God. We need someone to go... In the presence of God on our behalf, Jesus Christ has done that. Second, we'll look at the word justifier. The word justify is a court setting, if you will. In other words, the, the gavel has hammered down and the sentence is given. Whoever sins dies. Now, how many here have sinned? And we all say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. But I don't want to die lost. I want a relationship with you. I want to be saved. And Jesus says, I'll pay your price. What's what's the price again? What's the penalty? Death? Okay. I'll die as a substitutionary one for them. And we see the word redeemer. I envision this as being a slave placed on an auction block. We have no funds to buy ourselves back. And no one else has enough to buy us back. And There's the auction going. And Satan is over here, and he's bidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and I are on the auction block, and our eternity is being settled here. And Satan bids. And no one is there to bid against him except Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll pay more than Satan can ever pay because I've lived a perfect life. I can be that perfect sacrifice I will die for them paying the price to redeem them because of that the cross brings you and I in a right relationship with Christ if we submit to that form of doctrine that has been taught that form of doctrine and just a quick nutshell is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be willing to repent and turn away from sins and confess before man that He is the Son of God and, and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. If you haven't done that this morning, please realize this. It doesn't matter if your neighbors say, You know, that, that, that's a good neighbor. It doesn't matter if you even view yourself as religious. The point is, someone has to pay the price for your sin and there's only one that can pay it unless you want to pay it yourself. And we can either stand before God on the day of judgment and we can say, I've chosen to pay this debt myself. And we can do that for an eternity in damnation. Or we can fully submit to all that the Lord says and His grace will justify us because His Son has served as payment for our sin. If somewhere in your life you've separated from God and you need to come back home to Him, you've been baptized into Christ, but you've let things distance you, that sin has come back and it has separated you from God again, pray forgiveness, repent of sins, pray forgiveness, and let's be one. Let's be one with God again. Have you stopped to contemplate what God did for you and I to be saved? It's Satan that has worked to cause us to be lost. And it's God that has done everything so that we could be saved. Todd Beamer was on flight 93. You may remember, he was the one when everyone voted on what they would do and they decided they would try to take over the plane to save further deaths. And he was the one that said the Lord's Prayer with the GTE operator. And then as he laid the phone down, she could hear him lead a group of men in the words, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then she heard him say, Let's roll. And from there there were shouts and screams and then silence. Only a few minutes later to hear that a plane had gone down in Pennsylvania. Todd Beamer was very religious. His father made the closing remarks at his memorial service. And then he closed with these words of prayer. David Beamer said, Almighty God, thank you for Todd Beamer. Thank you again for your precious gift, your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Heavenly Father, I have known what that meant, but it is only in these recent days that I have a little more understanding of how it felt. If you think nobody cares, you're wrong. If you think nobody loves you, you're wrong. If you think nobody understands you, you're wrong. There is a Heavenly Father that loves you so much, He says, I'll give the greatest possession I have, my Son. And I'll let Him serve as a substitute so that we can all spend eternity together. That's what God wants. Is that what you want? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.